Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Hey everybody, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today, I am so super excited to welcome Victoria Bond to the show. Guys, she's a writer, a professor. Her novel, Zora and Me, which was co written by T.R. Simon, it won the John Steptoe Coretta Scott King Award for New Talent, and it was nominated for an Edgar Award in the category of Juvenile Mystery. And I want to let you guys know, too, the Curse Ground Book 2 was also for the Edgar Award. Um, Victoria holds an MFA in poetry. She's an occasional essayist on issues both personal and political. She teaches first-year writing at John Jay College, the City University of New York. And we are here to talk about one of my favorite series books of all time, Zora and Me. But to congratulate her on her new launch of the summoner, guys, this is book three. And I'm going to talk all about it later. But I just want to say you've got to just kind of pause right now. Just go grab your own copy and you will thank me for it. So welcome, Victoria, to the show. Uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So tell us just a little bit more about you, kind of like the behind the scenes that's not in your professional bio, and then we can start talking about the books. Oh my gosh. Well, I really now in the especially in the pandemic, if it wasn't my number one job before, it's definitely my number one job now is being a parent. You know, I think the protagonist that I'm most working with at this moment is my son. That's the, <laughs> the protagonist and the story life that I'm trying to help grow and build. So I've just really been consumed by parenting these last months. And, you know, and that's been a good thing. You know, I'm discovering a lot about patience. I'm discovering a lot about how to love my child and how to love me and try to make room in myself and in my family for just more patience and more understanding. So it's, it's a journey. It's a tough one, but I think, you know, I think that I'm growing because of it. So, you know, just fingers crossed. It's okay. Yes. Praying, praying for you. Oh, you. I want to tell you that I want to start off by saying that I of course started with Zora and me. And so You've co-authored this series, and I did read a little bit behind the scenes. 
on UNCR Simon were friends and then you just kind of what did you do just bounce around ideas and say let's go for Zora's life because it's so fascinating and profound I think yes actually <laughs> I, yeah Tanya and I worked together and while we worked together we would go out for lunch and we would talk about stuff have you thought of this have you thought of that how about this how about that and nothing gelled and I think maybe a year or two passed, we stopped working together, but we were still extremely close friends. And I wrote a novel and it was really bad. It was like, it was the worst. And I gave yeah. it to Tanya and I knew it was the worst, but I still wanted to give it to my friend, you know, just so I could have some, just know that it existed and give it to someone else, right? So the so the book at least could live in that regard. And she said, yeah, Vicki, this is pretty bad, but you are really good with young characters. The kids in your book really came to life. And I thought, hmm, like this is something that I hadn't ever considered, you know, writing for kids and writing young characters. So then maybe a few more months passed and Tanya invited me over for lasagna. And she said, you know, Vicki, I have an idea. Zora Neale Hurston as a girl detective. And I said, hmm, that's a good idea. And then we just never stopped. So that was the lasagna dinner that gave birth to the series. And so then you guys write this phenomenal story that was a stamp of approval from Zora's niece and Zora's trust. Like, how did that feel when you had put all of that energy into the book and then you get that stamp of approval? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't even really believe it. You know, I still think it is the honor of my professional career to have the Zora Neale Hurston Trust endorse these books. They're the only books that they have endorsed that are not by Zora Neale Hurston herself. So I feel, you know, as you were saying, Jen, about the prayers and the spirit connections that all of us have as readers and writers, both to those writers that are still among us and those writers who aren't, you know, I feel like the people that work on Zora, you know, really feel like they have been chosen in some regard. You know, if there's something about them, if there's something about Zora, but I do think that her kind of her loving spirit of community and of legacy you know i think it touches people in big and small ways and i think for those of us who continue her legacy through either scholarship or like in these books as novels i think that we feel a little bit more of that light than maybe some other people do and so after reading their eyes were watching god i will let you know that i hug the book like i literally hug the book and so, and we have those moments in our lives when we do attach ourselves to the heartbeats of books. And so I will say that was a hug moment for me. When I read Zora and me, of course, in one sitting, because how can you walk away? Like literally, I read each one in three days. I read one, two, three. There's no way you could do it any other way, people. Okay. I'm just challenging you right now. But when I read Zora and me, I started like patting it. Like <laughs> it was like endearing. It was so endearing. It was so just spoke like it spoke to me. So I read the book, I go to sleep, 
and I wake up in the middle of the night just bawling, like crying, like, and I saw my family in a dream. And it's my family that had passed and they were all sitting around like a, like a dining table. Like that's how we would commune at the house. You know, everybody around the kitchen table and they were joking and laughing and they were talking about how the tea wasn't sweet enough. And they would keep putting in sugar packets, putting in sugar packets and the tea. Who would drink this mess? And it was their voice and it was their smiles and it was that family connection and it's like i was leaving joe's porch joe's store you think about that dream that night and it's just your voice came so through to my heart in the way you poetically expressed community and friendship and fellowship and just being there for one another and that's what i experienced growing up and it just unlocked a place in me and it's often when i don't i mean i don't dream about my passed on relatives much my family much when you get those moments it's a treasure and i will say it was the journey starting with zora and me so then of course then sunday you know i'm going i'm reading the curse ground and i'm like oh how can it get better and it does I know, Tanya's book is so amazing. <laughs> oh, and then I'm hugging and I'm going, oh my gosh. And I'm like, how are you guys? And I'm thinking about it. Did you guys just sit down and say, we're going to do three books from the beginning? We did. And the series took so long because we couldn't decide how to go about the second book. And we maybe spent two years trying to write the second book in the same way that we wrote the first book until we realized that we actually had two different stories. You know, that Tanya wanted to tell a story really about Old Lady Bronson. The Old Lady Bronson character, I think, is Tanya's favorite of the series. And I wanted to tell a story more about Eatonville in Zora's lifetime. You know, so we then just decided, okay, Tanya will do the story of Eatonville's past. And then I will do the story of the Eatonville that Zora says goodbye to. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And so I get to the summoner. Okay, you see me hugging this too, because if you were here and, and we wouldn't have social distancing rules, I would be hugging you right now. I know. I miss hugs. I miss meeting people. I miss meeting people. I really do. But we can hug books, can't we? Yeah. So I'm hugging this book because, okay, I read it. It was phenomenal. Absolutely pulled at my heart. It, it made my heart ache and it made me feel full at the same time. Oh, thank you. So it was as if I was going on this journey and I knew what was bound to happen because I had read the bios. I knew that she was going, like you said, say goodbye. Like I knew that this was this culminating event and it was coming and I was going to have to brace myself for that because even though with one door closing, another door does open and then you have all of these life experiences and more. But I felt as if I was saying hello to Eatonville 
and living that moment and being there and champion the citizens. And then I felt like I was being ripped from them at the same time because that love just felt so palpable in the story itself. Like it felt like a living, breathing thing outside of the pages. And so I finished the book and I'm all like teary eyed, feeling so full and so happy all at the same time that I'm feeling also this immense pressure on my chest. Like, wow, what Zora had to go through. Like, then you have that struggle in your mind and, and you're having to reconcile both of those feelings at the same time. And you're talking middle grade fiction. <laughs> well, Jen, I think what you speak to in Zora's actual biography, so for your listeners, just to get a sense of who Zora Neale Hurston was, is that she's this novelist and anthropologist. She becomes famous for a time as a Harlem Renaissance figure. But before that, in the very early 20th century, Zora Neale Hurston is from this place called Eatonville, Florida, which was one of the first all-Black incorporated towns. And she grows up in this very safe community, um, a very a prosperous community also. And her father actually becomes mayor, right? And her father was also a womanizer and a showboating preacher. And after Zora's mother passes away, Zora's family does fall apart. And Zora basically is out on her own. And in her biography, there's about 10 years of her life that are missing, right? No one really knows what was going on with Zora from the time she was 15, 16 till the time she's 26, when she shows back up in the DC area and lies and says that she's 16 so she can go back to high school, you know? So there's this really kind of funny idea of her kind of like in disguise as a teenager, like an 80s movie, you know, like going back to going back to high school, but you're an adult. So that period of her life, I think, really does shape her work going forward, because it's this kind of this knowing darkness, you know, that I think she experienced during that time. You know, not necessarily of, you know, being a domestic. Um, she was the, the maid for an actress. You know, she also kind of worked as a domestic in a circus. I don't think it's actually the, the work that defined the, the kind of the darkness and the knowing that Zora carried with her. I think it was the loneliness. Or the grief. Yeah, I think it was the grief from losing her mother and the loneliness of having known what family was and knowing what community was and having that really disappear for a long period of time that I think gives her that kind of iron will to succeed, but it also gives her work such a beautiful, deep, rich heart. You know, like that's why I think you want to hug their eyes or watching God because mm -hmm. you feel so much heart and love in the story. And I think that she brought that throughout her life from Eatonville, but I think that deepened in that period of time when she was really living on her own. And I think that that authentic voice that you guys created in this series, you know, if you, if you read the series straight through and then maybe you're experiencing their eyes were watching God for the first time, 
then it's almost as if you're pulling another layer out and you're seeing it go all over again in a new way with her. And it's like you're almost reading a continuation. Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you. That's, that's the way I felt from that. And then as soon as I read the summoner, I'm reading it late at night because, you know, I have a busy day, full-time teacher, homeschool at night, and then after all that. And then so I'm reading. I can't put the book down. I go to sleep and I have a second dream. And this time it's of my mother. And we're just riding in her car and we pull up and we get out of the car and I can see a red bird flying around her. And we had this, we have this symbol in our house of red birds. Every time we see a red bird, it would bring good luck. It was one of those types of sayings that she would pass and she'd get so excited if she'd see a red bird. And I could see the red bird and it was flying right by my mother. And I pulled out my camera to take a picture of my mother with the red bird in the shot. And I could feel it. The red bird felt like it flew right at me and just got in my hair and I could feel it. And I woke up like this and I'm thinking the summoner, it's the photography, it's the camera. And I'm like, this book, like, wait, what is happening? It was, the store. It was like Joe's. It was almost like Joe's store and the table and the sweet tea and all the joking around. Then it gets to. You know, the symbol that my mom and I shared together, that's why I have a red bird in every room of my house. Because every time I see that, I, then I think of my mom and that good luck and all of that. And then I'm dreaming that right after. And my mother was beautiful and happy and seemed so free. And I just want to thank you because those memories are very strong for me. And that love is strong, but it's also hard love because you have to live with that grief. And that's what books that matter really do for someone. They they open up that raw place, that sensitive place that might have been scarred, tissued and, and put away. And when you read a book that really touches you, that's the power of a book. And so I want to thank you for bringing my mom back in a dream for me, because I do believe that it was an instrument of this book and your words and that story and the part even about the photograph. And so it was so not what my story is in the dream, but there was something about all those images and the words of your book just got myself all in a place where I could be open and my mom showed up again. So, Thank you for reading these books. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know, y'all gotta read them. I'm just telling. I'm telling all y'all. <laughs> you have not read Zora and me. I want to know what's happening. <laughs> like I'm telling y'all, y'all gotta get these books. And I am a huge fan of middle grades fiction. Love middle grades place. But this is not just for reading with your children, which I believe that families should grab these books and read them together just because of the historical significance and the deep issues about race and the conversations that you can have from these books can be life changing for your children. They, they can be just great instruments to have in these critical conversations that we need to be having right now. And so not just a springboard for that, but just to be able to experience just the language of love. Well, you know, Jen, as I was saying to you pre-interview, you know, your experience of reading the novels and then having this dream and this encounter 
with your mother, you know, that really speaks to me more as a reader than as a writer, because that's why I read, you know, I read mm -hmm. to have access to different pieces of myself that are hard sometimes to get to. And, you know, just to hear that something I wrote helped to facilitate that experience for someone else really is an honor. Thank you so much for sharing that with you are so thank you for writing and following me as now. That's why I read. I, I never imagined I can, you know, be that successful, you know, reader to writer. But that's why I read, you know, to truly try to have access to different pieces of myself that sometimes seem a little bit out of reach. So I do want to read a couple of lines. I want you to scream at me if you say, don't read this. <laughs> because I don't want to. No, that's it. To me, I just love this. So you guys, um, because I love too that it was written from Carrie's point of view. Like I just love that. I love her, and I really feel like that way makes Zora even larger than life because you see her through the eyes of the best friend. When, when did you guys make the decision to go that route and go through Carrie's point of view? You know, pretty early. You know, after Tanya and I had that first talk, you know, one of the first questions that we tossed back and forth is like, is it going to be in third person? You know, is it going to be in first person? You know, so immediately we said it can't be from Zora's perspective, right? We can't write as Zora. That would just be insane. So then actually I went home and I did a couple of writing exercises. So I tried to write as a friend. I put it in third person. You know, I tried to write even as the town. I tried to write as Eatonville. And then I read over each of the pages and I said, you know, I think Carrie, the best friend, is what works. So then I sent the pages to Tanya and she said, yeah, I think Carrie Carrie's the one. So we went with it and I'm so glad that we did because one thing that Zora Neale Hurston herself didn't really have is a real best friend through thick and thin. And as writers, you know, that is not unheard of, you know, writing can be a long kind of hard competitive road kind of depending on your makeup. So it's, you know, it's not unheard of for someone to end up at the end of their life as a writer without many connections and so forth, because the writing life is mostly solitary in its way. But because we were writing this book together, because we were writing the series together, you know, we we're kind of best friends in dialogue with each other. And we wanted to give Zora kind of an admiring friend to give the real Zora Neale Hurston the love in our books that we didn't think she got in life. Along with Teddy, who was just icing on the cake. Oh my goodness. Just don't you just love him? You gotta have a boy character. You gotta have a boy character. Oh, just love. Just love. okay. So I love. Um, and suddenly I knew what was driving Zora. You know, I gotta turn the page and it's stuck. What this was really all about. And I could not let her face it alone. I'll go with you to Mr. Cool's house, I said. I'll go. In some form or another, Death and Zora were formally introducing themselves to each other. 
like just write. I could keep reading and reading and reading different lines uh, well, to you and just let you know that even in that those simple sentences, mm -hmm. so much more is there. That true heart of friendship, those things of friendship, loyalty, overcoming your own fear to be able to stand with someone else mm -hmm. or standing up for someone else when you know it's right, mm -hmm. even when you should possibly go with maybe a father yeah. <laughs> and then you choose the father feet. I mean, all of the things that you have in here that are throughout the whole series you know, not just the mystery elements and the, the half gator man. And, you know, the kids would love the you know, the half gator tale, you know, and all of that. But it's Mr. Ambrose sending her the book. And it's just every piece. It's almost as if each time you place a piece, then you get the picture of what voice should look like in a book. Oh, that is so wonderful. Like that's what you that's what you do. And it's and it's like you get each one of these little pieces and then at the end you go, Wow. Like how do you even sum it up? You just say wow. <laughs> you just wow. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know, I guess to the writers and the audience, you know, all of these amazing things that you're saying about the book. I can't number I can't believe it. Sometimes I'm like, huh? But I think, you know, as a writer for other writers in the audience, my background is in poetry. I mainly came up reading poetry. I wrote poetry for a long time. And I still, I don't write it as much anymore for anyone to read. <laughs> but I think that I brought that a lot to these books. You know, so I would try to keep the chapter short you know, I would think about how each chapter ended, the end words of each chapter, the end words of each paragraph, you know, the passage that you just read. I was really, I was thinking about Emily Dickinson, you know, her famous poem about death. So I was like, oh, I have Emily in my head, you know, let me do a little riff on it fast. So I think that having uh, a, a relationship with language and having a relationship with poets is something that has been the lifeblood of you know my work on this series and it's been a lot of it's been a lot of fun in that regard you know sometimes i think i put you know paragraphs above story sometimes and that's why you need editors to say hey what's going on with the story here so but I, yeah i just hope it has made it's a, a meaningful experience for the reader and the historical fiction piece in it like it can be a learning experience for a reader. So you're talking about your poetic elements there because they are definitely there. They shine through from dialogue to description. So so that is there, but also the message behind the books, mm -hmm. not just the themes, but the historical context in which it's set. And so now my husband and I are going on YouTube and we're looking up videos of Eatonville and we're learning, you know, we're learning more about things that we had not experienced or known and we didn't know about. And we're like, wow, there's just so much more to learn. There's so much more every day that we can learn. And that's what, you know, the series like Zora and me can do. It can serve as that springboard to further learning, to further discussions and discoveries and celebrations 
about the hard work and the perseverance and what people had to go through, what African-Americans had to go through in the early 1900s and all of, and even today, like the books springboard into that awareness and then that recognition and then how much more can we learn? And it's endless. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm in historical fiction here now and forever. I don't think I'm ever going to write anything <laughs> that's not historical fiction. I how think, about mystery too? Yes, mysteries and historical fiction together. You know, I think what I have enjoyed about the summoner, and I think it was because I wrote it by myself without Tanya. I think Tanya would have kept a much stronger hold on the mystery element. But for me, it was more about solving the mystery at the end, of course, but really just getting to know the town. You know, my, my aim was to open up the town and make the town a character. And for that to be the main experience of the book, though the mystery does get solved at the end, that wasn't necessarily what I was thinking about chapter by chapter. So. And so you credit your grandmother who turned 93 today. <gasps> Happy birthday, Miss Dolores Hill. Look at her, 93. You credit her. Uh, my grandma's funny. My grandma's funny. But yeah, you know, it's so I think part of, you know, writing these books and thinking about who your audience is, you know, as I said, these books were co created. So our audience in a way was each other, Tanya and myself, but also, you know, my whole writing life, you know, I have written with my grandparents in mind, you know, like often when I'm done with the draft, I think when I start to read it through, like, what would my grandparents think, you know, because they're really the audience of my heart, right? So I'm, you know, so I'm still kind of writing to the past in that regard. We always write to our loved ones you know, whether they're here with us or not. So, yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's a, a funny thing, you know, also about the historical fiction piece of it with the history of black towns. You know, I think that kind of in the American imagination, there's an idea of a black community that's really often tied up with a lot of pathology, with ghettos, with crimes and with violence. But, you know, the, there's this whole history in the late 19th and early 20th century of Black people coming together to build community around safety and prosperity that I think a lot of people don't know about. But I think more people are learning about these places and about this history. So, you know, if I could bring anything to the historical fiction table, I think the story of loving communities, you know, a loving black community is something that I really want to share and expose kids to. And you did that. And the vibrancy of the community, just all of the working pieces of the community, you did all of that and you did it in such an honoring way. So I know your grandmother has to be extremely excited and proud who oh, no. knows? You know, it's my grandmother since the pandemic, because my grandmother was 93 and the pandemic has had her like so turned around, basically, you know, because she hasn't really gone out and been anywhere. You know, she's just kind of in this weird loop 
you mm. know, it's like she watches the news. She's like, Vic, what's going on? It is the same as yesterday. It's the same as tomorrow. You know, so I think for someone that's that old, right, the, the way that time has collapsed, speaking of historical fiction, is really, um, it's very present with her. And then whenever, mm. you know, I see her once a week, you know, and that's been another thing because of the pandemic. I was afraid to see her at the beginning. Right. You know, because I don't want to get my grandmother sick. But then I've just been like, I want to see my grandmother. She's 93. Like, how much time does anyone have left? This is crazy. You know, like, so I think we're always in that push and pull, that tug with, you know, being safe and following rules, but also knowing that we don't have forever, <laughs> you know, that you want to be able to say hi and I love you in person while you can. Right. So I'll be praying for you guys. And just please tell her that I said from afar, happy birthday, and to thank her for pushing all of that mystery on you when you were younger and having a role model to be able to see someone who was an avid reader like that in your life. Like, when did you know that you wanted to go into creative writing? Because of, of course, you have your master's. Like, but when did you know? Was it a very early age that you wanted to do this life? Or did that come later? I think I always did. You know, I think I always really wanted to be a poet, you know, from an early age. I I went to college and I started seeming like a more kind of, I don't want to say far flung, but it didn't, it started to seem like a less realistic goal um, in terms of making money, right? So I think when I was in college, I kind of got the wake up call. Like if you're going to do this, you do it, but you don't do it to make money. You do it because you love it and you want it to work and you want to try to grow as an artist and a person. So I think so then after I got that wake up call, I think that's when I started thinking more about publishing as an industry, right? And if I wanted to be in the publishing industry, what kind of work would I do? And then that's how I met Tanya, right at my first my first publishing job. And Tanya was an agent then, she's a literary agent now. And I worked in publishing and I was like, this is kind of yucky and gross. Like, I think, you know, what the what are the good jobs around here? Ghostwriting? That's as good as it gets. I, you know, I just, I wasn't into the, the industry, though I am glad that I learned about it. And I really, you know, I have a lot of respect for editors, a lot of respect for people like ghost books, you know, a lot of respect for the people that are handling the slush piles, you know, writing the summaries, doing all the treatments and stuff. Because that is that is the work of reading and writing. You know, it's all of that stuff that makes up the the publishing industry. So I'm glad that I got to know it. But from there, I thought, hey, I think I want to go back to school. And you know, I'm not ready to. I don't think I can have a you know some kind of fantasy career as a as a writer. But I think I want to keep learning how to get better. You know, I think. The fantasy for me became just that I would be a good writer, that I could learn how to be good. That became my goal. So, you know, and I guess, you know, it, it still is. I, you know, I'm, just, I'm glad that these books are published, Jen. I'm glad that these books exist. And as someone 
who is just, I just want to keep trying to grow as a writer and an artist. You know, and I'm fingers crossed, you know, I can keep struggling and working through a manuscript here and there. And but poetry I, as well. Oh, you know, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But yeah, so, it, you know, for you know, for your audience, you know, it's just, it's a journey page by page. Mm. Truly is. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. I do want to ask you one more question before we have to close it off. And you knew about Zora taking the photograph of what she called the zombie woman. Yes. Like that was, was that that catalyst for you that you said, okay, that's a great plot point here. I think I really want to use this. I think this is something that needs to be brought to light. And then you could start looking at some of those practices that Zora was also interested in and traveling and learning more about. So is that how you came up with like that base idea for the summoner was just that one photograph of Felicia, the lady in the photograph? Absolutely. That was it. You know, because so much of the plot of especially so much of the plot of the summoner is just really kind of growing a little detail here, a little detail there from Zora's, lifelong work really and for me Zora with the camera really I just that really just got stuck in my craw and I just thought I want to work with Zora and the camera and you know her work on zombies and voodoo you know that there was basically that there were these myths around um like graveyard dirt Right. If someone threw graveyard dirt at you, they could put a curse on you and that people that landowners in an area would poison people and they would appear as if they were dead and these people would be buried. But then the landowners would hire people to dig up these victims, basically these marks and make them work on their plantations and this sort of thing. So these were real practices, both kind of the, the economic exploitation but then also this kind of the sense of magic. And I was just like, I want to try to work that in somehow. But Hurston with the camera, the journalist, the documentarian, I thought I want to try to build in this story a kind of origin for that. I want to try to weave in a kind of origin for Zora taking this photograph of this woman. And for those of in your audience who you know aren't familiar with this, in the 1930s, Zora Neale Hurston did research on voodoo in Haiti and Jamaica. And while she was in Haiti, she received word that this woman had basically returned from the dead, that there was this woman that was in a hospital who had been known to have died, I think, in 1917. And now it's the 1930s, and this woman is back. And everyone is like, hey, what the heck happened? And Zora goes to the hospital, and she takes this photograph of this woman that's really haunting. And, you know, what Zora says is that no one knows what happened to her other than she's broken. You know, she calls her a broken vessel. So I just thought, oh, my gosh, what are the year? What happens to people in the years, the unknown years? And that Zora kind of gives us this snapshot of all the trauma that can occur in that lost time. And I thought, you know, I got to work this in. I want to get this in this book. And and your broken vessel was Chester Cools. Yes, exactly. That's and right. And 
And the more that I would go through and trying to unlock the mystery, you would surprise me in another way. And then I would say, it's that person and it's this and that happened. Oh, my goodness. Like, and so, for, for yeah, I just want to let you know all of the elements. Like I said before, it's like one little puzzle piece into the next. And that is why you are an award-winning author <laughs> and we can celebrate your work and we can be so excited for what the future holds for you because Victoria, this is this is i say you're not you're this is your third you know look in the series but this is just you getting started many 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 years of poetic work and words and words that matter i hope so right because that's that's the only reason worth doing this, right? It has to matter to you and you have to want it to matter to someone else. Yep. And so you're writing with your grandparents in your heart. I write towards the grandchildren I don't have yet. And I always say that, you know, finding your why, finding your why, I tell everyone that I talk with in the author community, you know, that's, that's my why. What is like your why? What is your, why are you doing what you're doing? What is your why in your author journey? I want to tell stories to kids that help them understand why the world is difficult and what resources they can marshal within themselves to not just cope, but be triumphant. Love that. Love it. And I want to tell you that you are now one of my favorite authors <laughs> of all time. And I honestly have like, I have a list of like favorite books and then they'll, they'll swing, but then I have some that will stay forever on that list and they will not move. And I will let you know the summoner is on my list. It is a permanent list that will not move. And it's actually, it's actually by the story of jumping mouse by John Steptoe. So he's also on my list of one of the books of all time. Um, if you've never read that one, I would suggest you go out and try the story of Jumping Mouse with your son. Um, that is one that makes me cry at the very end. Mm -hmm. I, every single time I would read it in when I was an elementary school teacher. Um, and I will tell you, I will be reading the seminar again after I have some space away so my heart can heal a little. And then I will bring it back in and welcome the town of Eatonville back into my life. Oh, Jen. Yeah, that it's it's a reread. Yours is a reread. Oh boy. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show for reading the books. You know, I'm just I'm really heartened by what you've said about your own experiences with your dreams and having access to your family because I couldn't have imagined I couldn't have imagined that. I couldn't have imagined it either. Here I am just ready to read a trilogy because I'm excited. You know, oh, I've got this new book series and it's about Zora. Let's go. And then it turns into so much more than just words on a page. And I just want to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for that. Yeah. So, guys, go check out Zora and Me. It came out today. I am telling you, I will have all the links in the description. Victoria, do you live a certain place online where people? Oh, yes. yes. VictoriaBondAuthor.com. You know, also, 
I'm into my Instagram account. I'm always on Instagram. I probably need to get off. <laughs> my my tag name is Way to Go Vicky Bond, spelled V I C K Y. Awesome. So I will find those links and I'll add them as well. So thank you so much. And I will be praying for you. Tell, tell your grandmother, happy birthday again. Oh, thank you, Jen. Thank you. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.